You're listening to the Murder Speaks Podcast, the show that spills the tea about true crime. Here's your host, Wendy Hinbest. planning to hang out with some friends or go to the gym and you don't know what to wear even though your closet is full and your drawers are so stuffed that they won't shut you feel like you have nothing to wear and you're so bored of all of your clothes this is why crystal kiss offers a wicked selection of true crime merch to bring your wardrobe to life from hoodies leggings and t-shirts to joggers crop tops and tank tops crystal kiss has you covered Offered in so many designs, Crystal Kiss can make you stand out and feel dazzled. Make a fashion statement with Crystal Kiss. Check out crystalkiss.com today. Hey, welcome back to Murder Speaks. I hope everyone's having a great week. So today's real crime story is about 20-year-old Michelle Wyatt of Santee, California. Michelle Wyatt was pretty, blonde, and athletic. She was born in San Diego on February 9, 1960, to Raymond and Louise Wyatt. The young family moved into a small apartment on Golden Hill, but by the time Michelle was six, they had settled into a three-bedroom house on Regner Road in San Carlos near Grossmont College. Michelle attended Gage Elementary, Pershing Junior High, and Patrick Henry High School. She took up scuba diving and tap dancing. Now, after graduating from Patrick Henry High School in 1978, she attended Grossmont College for one semester, set out the next, and then enrolled at Mesa College, where at the time of her death, she was trying to decide between a career in oceanography and one in the telecommunications and film industry. In the meantime, she was earning extra spending money and later supporting herself by working at a succession of part-time jobs, first at a McDonald's in San Carlos, then at Winchell's Donuts in Fletcher Hills, and finally as a checker at the Safeway store in Mission Village on the Mesa north of San Diego Stadium. She also loved working with children and regularly taught a handful of neighborhood youngsters how to dance and play the organ. Michelle was outgoing and enjoyed the outdoors. Michelle lived in a condo and had a roommate who moved in with her the previous July. On October 9th, her roommate came home just before 5 p.m. Her roommate noticed the light was on outside and the mail had not been picked up. But Michelle normally turned off the light and picked up the mail, as Michelle usually got up early, and the door was unlocked. Her roommate went inside and discovered Michelle's dead body on the living room floor. She dropped everything she had in her hands and ran to the neighbor's apartment across the lawn. The police were called. There was no sign of forced entry. Michelle was strangled to death with a telephone cord. It appears she was sexually assaulted by the position of her body. Neighbors heard screams, but nobody called the police. Her purse and its contents had been dumped out into the toilet. The police collected evidence, dusted for fingerprints, and took lots of photos. The autopsy confirmed she died of asphyxiation. She had also been sexually assaulted and seminal fluid was recovered. 
She was dead for 17 hours before she was found. Michelle's neighbor and friend, Teddy, offered to help the police. He would go over to Michelle's house and play pool with her in the garage. He told police that he talked to Michelle the day before her body was found and that Michelle told him that her boyfriend was going to come over later that evening. Teddy told police that Michelle and her boyfriend had only been dating a few weeks. Apparently, a few hours after they talked, he saw Michelle and her boyfriend together. They were playing pool in the garage. When Teddy went to bed, the garage door was shut and Michelle's boyfriend's car was still there. He told police that when he got up for work the next morning, Michelle's boyfriend's car was gone. Police believe that Michelle was killed around 1 a.m. Teddy told investigators he had gone to bed around 11 p.m. that night and woke up around 8 a.m. So Michelle's boyfriend was there during the time she was murdered. If you're looking for true crime merch with a great fit and feel, look no further. Crystal Kiss has a wide selection of clothes to brighten up your wardrobe. I like to wear clothes that make a fashion statement and says something about me. Like, our true crime and chocolate design describes me very well. I love chocolate and I love watching true crime, so they go hand in hand. Our hoodies are so soft and can be paired with one of our true crime joggers to make a super comfy outfit. Our true crime t-shirts fit true to size and last several washes. For our night out, throw on a pair of heels with one of our true crime leggings and a crop top. Whatever you're doing, Crystal Kiss has you covered. You people in the U.S. get free shipping when you order three or more items. You can also use discount code MURDER15, that's MURDER15, and save 15% off your entire order. Check out our wicked selection of true crime merch today at crystalkiss.com. Michelle's boyfriend told police that he and Michelle were playing pool in the garage close to 9 p.m. Then they watched TV and he left the condo around 12.30, 12.45 a.m. and he went home. He told police that sometimes he would spend the night, but he needed to get home that night because he had to get up for work in the morning. Apparently, Michelle had given him a key and he locked the door when he left. That means he left Michelle's condo about 15 minutes before neighbors heard screams. He told police that he loved Michelle and he wouldn't hurt her. The police spoke to Michelle's family and they told police that they didn't think Michelle's boyfriend would hurt her. Her boyfriend took a polygraph and passed and he offered police a sample of his blood for testing. There was no evidence that connected him to Michelle's murder. There was a young man from the supermarket where she worked that was obsessed with her. His name was Mike. He wanted to date Michelle, but she wasn't interested. Michelle felt threatened by him. Michelle's boyfriend told police that days before Michelle was found murdered, Mike wouldn't take no for an answer. And he approached her boyfriend and told him that he likes Michelle. Yeah, I cruise by, you know. I cruise through the alley. Mike became a suspect. He wasn't cooperating with the police, and he admitted that he had been near the condo in the days leading up to the murder. But Mike denied having anything to do with the murder. He told police that he was at his father's house the night of the murder. 
but then he told police he was with a girl. He changed his story. He stopped talking and asked for a lawyer. The police felt he was the one who killed Michelle, but there was no evidence tying him to it. The case went cold. But Michelle's mother wouldn't rest until she found out who killed Michelle. Oh, and I miss her so much. My biggest scare, dying and not finding out who did it. I, yeah, I don't have closure. They handed out flyers, but there were no new leads. The murder went cold for about two decades. Then the case was opened when the profile of an unknown male was discovered. And the sample was uploaded to CODIS, but there was no hits. They compared the new evidence to the persons of interest, but no match. In 2019, the cold case was picked up again by Detective Brian Patterson. And forensic genealogy was used. They matched DNA from the crime scene to relatives who provided DNA into public databases. And they identified the father of the suspect, but he was deceased. And he might have had more than one child. Then they found a suspect. His name was John Hogan. He was deceased. He was born in Arizona. And he moved to Santee in the 1970s and once lived in the complex where Michelle Wyatt lived. And he still had friends there when Michelle was attacked. He joined the Air Force in 1979 and spent some time stationed in New Mexico. As an adult, he traveled frequently from California to Arizona and Idaho. He had a criminal background, but none of them were violent. He lived in Santee when Michelle was murdered. And he was in the Air Force stationed in New Mexico during the time of the murder. However, the police found out that John Hogan was on leave from the military October 1st to October 10th, 1980. At age 42, John Hogan died of a drug overdose on October 9th, 2004, exactly 24 years from the day Michelle Wyatt was raped and killed. When he died, a blood card was kept and the police matched his blood to the DNA. And his DNA was on Michelle Wyatt. He was lurking outside of Michelle Wyatt's condo. He saw Michelle's boyfriend leave and went to her door. Michelle Wyatt put on a robe and answered the door. And John Hogan sexually assaulted her and killed her. Well, thank you so much for joining me on this week's episode of Murder Speaks. I hope you enjoyed it. Please like and subscribe. And if you like it, please share it. Sharing is caring. Join me again on Murder Speaks. Thanks. Bye.